Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile. Woo. Oh, yeah. I'm Samantha Rochefort. I'm a senior video producer, Polygon, and I'm here today with Christina Warren, senior cloud developer advocate at, nope, just senior cloud advocate, yep, at Microsoft, Uh, and Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress. And and multi-billionaire. I'm a multi-billionaire. Oh, God, I don't even want to talk about that now. (laughs) Um, We are going to have a very special guest on in topic two. But first, let's cover some important, I guess, stonk market updates. Brianna, what did you do today? <laughs> well, it's all thanks to Christina. So we have been, I, I want to thank Rocket listeners who have been uh, uh, sending me uh, Twitter DMs. Like, I'm friending all of you. Doing insider I will, trading? I will get to all of yeah. you. Yes, we are doing stonk market manipulation. I'm working with Rocket listeners, and every morning I'm like, what you got for the for the bell market? What's going on? And I'm texting them prices and all of that. And this week, it wasn't any Rocket listener. It was actually one of your friends, Christina. So tell everyone about that. Yeah. So uh, Victoria Song, who's a writer at Gizmodo, and, and she and I didn't overlap, but uh, but, but, but we're, we're um, online friends. And we've met in person a couple of times. She's awesome. And thank you, Victoria. You're the best because she had $600. Tommy and Timmy were offering $600 for turnips today. Six. Hundred six zero That's zero obscene. It's completely obscene. And so what she did, and it was so funny because she thought she was being sly by not having a hashtag and by having, um, you know, uh, just the, the the screenshot of what the to- what the dollar price was. <gasps> she was like, oh, no one's going to respond. Now she fortunately did not put the um uh the dodo code there because otherwise <laughs> it would have been chaos. Oh, oh. But she was inundated with. Uh, just, you know, uh, people asking um, t- uh, for access, including me. And so she uh, we became switch friends and she gave me um, the code. She had it open for like an hour and a half or something. And um, you know what? Uh, you really get to see the limits and the problems of Animal Crossing oh my God. online stuff when somebody when somebody has six hundred dollar uh, turnip prices, because if you have for, for the listeners who haven't played the game, when you visit someone's island, every time another person lands or leaves, the whole game pauses and everybody, you know, has to like watch them like land and leave. And so you can imagine when you only have like eight slots or whatever, you know, for people to come hang out, uh, how and when the, that the price is that much, like how many people are trying to both get in and then people trying to leave as quickly as possible. Um, it, it, I was like, I took a screenshot, uh, uh, that I'll have to, uh, get off of my switch of like, I was in line, like behind two people, or two oh. or three people like at, at the airport to like leave. You Were you know? social distancing? Uh, no, but, but, but my, um, my C-Mac does wear a mask. So it's so true. Yeah. I could, I could tell it was you just running into you in game without <laughs> even looking at your username. I could just tell. That's so funny. I had, I, I did not pay my mortgage again and I spent, uh, 300,000 bells on turnips <gasps> and I, I just, I saved it and I went all in and then I, I carried, 300,000 bells of turnips to Victoria's uh, Island <gasps> and I sold it for 2 million. Let me give you the exact number. It was 2,389,000 bells. 
which wow. was so much money. I just dropped her a 99K uh, bell tip. I'm just like, here you go. I just dropped her on the island. I don't even need that, that anymore. That is a friend. Yeah. Yeah. Money yeah. has no meaning to you now. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's not. So what uh, I did, so I have two different accounts. And so, and I am able to access people's things on once. So I double dipped. I went on my kind of <gasps> primary account first. And then on my secondary one, I left big tips both times. But um, I only, because my second account, um, I it isn't um, as uh, far ahead and, and stuff. And so I only got uh, 400,000 bells from that one. I got like 750,000 from the other one because oh. I have unfortunately... <laughs> taken out expenses and paid things off. What I've done, though, in addition to the stonks, is that I've started to to try to create the um, Tarantula Island thing that people are oh, doing. Oh, yes. Um, so that you can create your own by basically, like, tearing everything off the island and uh, getting rid of all of the, um, you know, all, all the stones, all the trees, um, everything, so that only certain types of bugs can come out. The problem is, is that now there are, like, these water, um, uh, like, bugs that um, if you're not on the bamboo island will spawn like in the water stuff. And so it makes it harder to get nothing but tarantulas. But those are still worth $2,000 a piece. So typically, um, I I try to like, uh, I've done this a couple of nights now where I like, you know, tear down an island. And if I can't get anything good to come out, then I'll just sell the fruit if it's a different fruit. But, and and that's good for like 30,000 bells, 28,000 bells. But otherwise, you know, just sit around trying to, to catch um, uh, tarantulas or or other high valued, yeah, uh, I'm so doing that because I, I I I like sleep. You're a millionaire. And I don't need my relaxing game to become a nightmare game. I just don't need that. So <laughs> the tarantulas are so bad. Yeah, they bite they're you, sca- and they're mean. They bite. They're mean. They're hard to catch. Uh, I'm not a fan. Uh, but they're, they're, they're eight thousand rotten. But they're eight thousand bells. So it's true. And when you have flick in town, the <gasps> bug yes. fire. Um, yeah, having uh, the turnip trade has really exposed, I think, the the seams of the online play. Uh, his, here's how I feel about Animal Crossing's online play. It is It encapsulates both the highs and the lows. It is the best of online games and it is the worst of online <laughs> games. And the, like, the parts that are good are so, so good. Like we went over to my coworker's island today because she time traveled accidentally well she 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 was going forward in time to get a picture of a turtle for an article she was writing mm-hmm. but because she time traveled she forgot even though she was just going five hours ahead to the nighttime to get a picture her turnips all rotted <gasps> oh. <laughs> uh, which i would have been i would have been that genuinely would have ruined my day i would not be on totally this podcast same. with you right now i would be taking a mental health day but um <laughs> so we went over to her island to get her rotten turnips so that we could all get ants um <laughs> We had a turnip party, and it was just lovely, like, smacking each other with nets, getting rotten turnips, but it was excruciating. I was trapped inside uh, Pashmina's house for, like, five minutes, just, like, taking a step, and then it would be like, ding dong, someone is arriving, and I'd be like, please, I just want to. I just want to leave this house. People arriving, people leaving. The fact that it pauses the whole game is just, like... Oh my God, is there not a better way? So, highs and lows. Anyway, we could, uh, I am holding off. This is the last thing I'll say about this. I'm holding off because there is this um, turnip calculator that was shared in my work Slack today. I'm going to link it, but you can put in your buy price and your AM and PM um, sell prices. And it will what? calculate a rough arc of what your um, 
what your stock price or yeah, your stock prices for the week will look like. And this calculator has projected that I could, I could have a high of over 600 on Thursday. Oh my God. So, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I, it might not be, it might not be. Um, that's the one Christina. Um, but I, so I'm holding out for now. But anyway, back to the actual topic of our show. Can you imagine if we put all of this effort into the actual stock market? Like we'd all have houses and Ferraris and it would be great. I mean, I think I think I think yeah. some people do. I think that's how Warren Buffett is Warren Buffett, but <laughs> No, I'm saying we, like the three of oh, us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. If the stock market looked like Animal Crossing, I would play it every day. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, same. If a little so, blue elephant encouraged me, I could do anything. His name is Axel, and I love him. Anyway, wow. Speaking of the stock market uh, completely going under, uh, do we have any stories this week? Boy, we sure do, Brianna. I'm so <laughs> glad that you asked. <laughs> oh, so it is another difficult week for WeWork. Um, it's been a little. It's been a little difficult while because, as you know, WeWork, a real estate company that calls itself a tech company has obviously been hit in interesting ways by the coronavirus pandemic in that it it is resisting strongly closing its locations around the world, um, only closing them in situations like in India where they have made it extremely illegal to be outside um, because WeWork is claiming that people do essential work from its locations. Um, But aside from that, the thing that happened this week was that SoftBank Group, who you might remember as the the company that was going to uh, take WeWork, get Adam Newman out of there, give him a, like a billion dollars to buy the shares out. Well, they've pulled their $3 billion tender offer, um, citing that WeWork has not met certain closing conditions. Um, basically, they want to, they're trying to get out of it. And WeWork is resisting and saying, Understandably. Well, they're saying they're disappointed, but that they're considering all of their legal options, including litigation. Which they did. They filed a lawsuit. Oh, the complaint has been filed. Um, yeah. So they're trying to back out of a commitment that they made to buy $3 billion in shares from WeWork shareholders. Um, so in, this in the midst of WeWork doing it's what i think is a shady thing of trying to stay open and also continuing to charge its its subscribers rent uh during the coronavirus pandemic which like uh, on a moral level i object to on a financial level i guess it is true that they genuinely like they're working with monopoly money here so doesn't endear me to them but anyway it's the soft bank group thing that we're talking about today so Christina, you have a controversial opinion about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. My controversial opinion, is, and I feel kind of dirty saying this, but I mean, like, I'm Good kind of I side with, with I side with WeWork and with Adam Newman here. I, I feel like SoftBank, as the complaint states, before I, before I'd even read the complaint, I was just like, oh, this is some BS because you know SoftBank knew about the regulatory issues, which are um, one of the things that they're trying to cite and claim that. That's why they need to back out of this. They knew about the problems of the business. They knew about everything. They've been the, the lead investor and they've been part of this from the very beginning. So for them to now, uh, you know, claim that somehow something has changed when really all that's changed is that um, uh, the world has imploded. SoftBank has lost a tremendous amount of money across its uh, portfolio. And WeWork's business in particular has been hit uh, spectacularly hard with 
you know, um, uh, um, you know, tons and tons of unpaid rent and with occupancy rates uh, plummeting. Um, so, you know, the businesses, which was already weak, is is just even more terrible. So they're like, well, we don't want to pay this. And my perspective is like, look, it was pretty shady for you to agree to give three billion dollars to them and to buy out their existing shareholders before when we all knew how terrible, um, uh, you know, the the fundamentals of the business were and how, you know, uh, gross some of these other aspects of, of the, the company were and, and that it was going to be enriching the founder and this and that. But you knew that and you made the deal. I don't think it's fair for you to now say later, oh, whoops, sorry, like right before, you know, the closing date to be like, actually, I'm 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 going to I'm going to say no on that. Like, I, I feel like you, you can't take it back. You, we, you know, SoftBank made a really bad decision. This is why I have a different opinion here. And I'm, I'm reading from the TechCrunch article right here. Under the terms of the tender offer proposed in November last year, SoftBank would buy blah, 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 3 billion shares. As part of the terms of that contract, the co-working company agreed to set to a set of performance milestones that WeWork agreed to meet in exchange for that secondary liquidity. Such terms are customary in most financial transactions. SoftBank said in its statement last week that WeWork failed to meet a number of those performance requirements. So to me, I think this is something like it, there being a lawsuit about this seems entirely appropriate because this needs to be adjudicated. It seems to me if they did hit those milestones, then I would 100% agree with you. Uh, if they didn't, I think they're well in the right to walk away. I just have not, I, I've looked at a ton of articles. I haven't seen anything to delineate those milestones specifically. Right. I mean, and that's why it's going to have to be adjudicated because we don't know what the contract said because it could have been things as simple as, you know, you have like X rate of, of increase and whatnot, which they might have met, right? They like do uh, in the initial TechCrunch article, they list uh, SoftBank has a list of the what they say are the unfulfilled conditions. What so are that's those? not necessarily yeah. um, failure to obtain the this is going to be a good audio, guys. <laughs> failure to obtain the uh Necessary antitrust approvals by April 1st, failure to sign and close the roll-up of the China joint venture by April 1st, failure to close the roll-up of the Asia joint venture by April 1st, existence of multiple new and significant pending criminal and civil investigations that have begun since the MTA was signed in October 2019. Um, existence of multiple new actions, this is the last one, by governments around the world rated, related to COVID-19 imposing restrictions against WeWork and its operations. That all seems very black and white. I mean, three of those seem like mm-hmm. pass-fail situations. Yeah, but we don't, you know, but again, like we don't, I mean, this is, this is what they're saying. Like I, I, this is going to have to be adjudicated because maybe yeah. they did, maybe they didn't. And there could be wiggle room in there too, in terms of like, okay, we, we're in the process of closing down this thing and this was going to close, but it was contingent on, you know, this or that. So I, I don't know, but you know, mm-hmm. it needs to go, the, the, the judges need, a judge needs to uh, make this decision here, but it seems like the kind of thing that, I mean, as long as it is these conditions that were set in the contract, it seems like it would be relatively black and white to adjudicate for, for a judge. Yeah, but I would also say that it it, it well it depends because you know it really just depends on how the contract's written. Um, so I, I don't mm-hmm. think anything is going to be black and white there, especially when we uh when we're talking about you know we work. I would also say like it seems to me that um uh that they knew that these things weren't going to be met. It's it strikes me as like to to wait until right before the closing to you know say we're not doing this. 
that's the thing yeah, to me that's, that's really point. suspect. Like to me, that's the thing that says this isn't about any of that. This is about the fact that the the market is, you know, in, in free fall and and the economics behind WeWork are especially in free fall and SoftBank is having to retract and, and pull things back. And they've already done stuff where I think they've pulled back, you know, funding from people and this and that. And, and they have a history of kind of doing that. But it, it just, it strikes me as they might legally be able to get away with it. That will be for, uh, you know, a court to decide. But it doesn't seem like this is not a lawyer, but I, I'm not taking this as this was like an act of good faith of them doing this. I think oh, this yeah. is them potentially, you know, taking advantage of um, the, the, the situation to get out of having to pay something they agreed to. This is a completely different situation, but what it kind of reminds me of is, so my friend Jeremiah, um, uh, Zillow and some of the other um, real estate sites have a process called like um, iSales. And uh, basically you can sell your house or your condo or whatever without having to go through the traditional uh, uh, process of, of getting an agent and putting it in the market and, you know, cleaning up your house and going on uh, this and that. And instead what you do is you submit, you know, basically the information about your property, they assess it, you send photos, they do eventually send somebody out to kind of look at it, but they make you an offer and you can choose to accept. And basically they're supposed to, to, to give you the cash. Well, he received an offer from Zillow um, and um, uh, signed a contract in January and they were going to buy his condo. And right before the closing date, like we're talking, you know, maybe seven, eight days before the closing date, Zillow basically came in and said, because of coronavirus, uh, we are not going to be able to close and uh, give you the money that we promised you. And they have, I guess, terms in their contract where they can kind of get out of it. But this is a case where, you know, Nobody, like, they were taking ownership of the property, but it wasn't going to require anybody to come into his house. Really what it is is that, you know, Zillow is worried about how can they offload this this house. So they canceled everybody who were part of these (gasps) eye contracts. They canceled all the contracts. And their only recourse to people was to be like, oh, well, we'll either, um, you know, we'll we'll pay the whatever the cancellation fees were, which, you know, was like four um, or or $8,000. And uh, we'll we'll give you that um, money and... Um, we can choose if, if, uh, if you want to go with, um, a, a traditional person that we will, you know, um, uh, pay to, or, or help you, you find a, a traditional real estate agent to, to put it on the market. But it was a bait and switch. In Jeremiah's case, he was selling his condo because he was moving back into, um, his house. Now he can afford both mortgages, but think about people who are expecting something to close are expecting Zillow to pay, and then they don't. And they now need to, you know, uh, close on their new property, um, which they might not be able to do. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's a pretty bad situation. And again, um, and, and that case, I think is even less. Uh, I think it's even more despicable than like what SoftBank is doing because they're literally just like using the the COVID nineteen um, as saying, well, this is why we, we can't, you know, come up with the closing when really it's, it's clearly a business reality, which is we, uh, are worried about paying the money. I mean, the thing about this that's convenient is that perhaps both parties are not great. <laughs> yeah. 
There's Perhaps. a there's a legal term called force majora, and basically yes. it's it's act of God, right? And with COVID nineteen, you're going to see a lot of these force majora lawsuits, right? Like this is where there are going to be a lot of people adjudicating what exactly that means and if this is uh, through the courts. But this particular action aside, and I just want to say one thing really quickly, uh, Christina. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal article closes with someone that worked at WeWork for years and was waiting for a $100,000 payment that would have happened through SoftBank with this. And I, I do agree with you. I think it's worth to take a second, even though they're a scumming company, think of the real people that are going to be hurt by this if it does end up going through. I want to talk about WeWork, though, and, and their prospects for the future, because if they were timestamp before they uh-huh. are unbelievably right now because their entire their entire game is to get into long-term leases and bet that the uh they're going to have enough demand there and if there's not demand there they still have to pay the rent either yep. way so even if they were at the best of their times this would be disastrous mm-hmm. and it's worth saying the wing which is part of we work um they was well, that part of we work but they use a lot of we work locations but as it's, i understand it's, it's it's part of under their umbrella companies and it's one of the few it was one of the few profitable parts of it that was my no, understanding no, well, yeah uh, they 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 divested they were Did an they? investor okay but they never owned it and they divested in november Okay, fair enough. But uh, similar with a very similar, um, you know, similar uh, model. And they laid off every single one of their employees uh, mm-hmm. just last week with COVID-19. So I I don't see how WeWork survives this. Like I didn't see before. I just cannot imagine any future where they work because so many people are going to come out of this going, you know what? Maybe we don't need an office. Maybe telecommuting is better. You're going to see those policies radically expand. I think that's definitely true. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by PDF Pen from our friends at Smile. PDF Pen 11 is the ultimate tool for editing PDFs on the Mac. It lets you edit text in your documents, including in tables. The library lets you store graphics you commonly use. Ooh, plus it has shapes <laughs> for drawing, proofreading marks, and stamps for marking documents as red, confidential, and more. Can you imagine? Imagine your PDF, the whatever one you're, you got right now. Pull a PDF for me right now. Do it. Pull it up on your phone. Don't pause this podcast. Just open it up. And now imagine it with a big stamp that says confidential across the front of it. Just picture how freaking cool that is. <laughs> Was that on purpose? Brie might be dead. <sighs> PDF Pen supports Apple Script, so you can automate actions on the Mac. And PDF Pen for Mac supports macOS and Catalina, while PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone supports iOS 13 and Apple Pencil. You can learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. And if you do any work with PDFs, you need to check out PDF Pen and make a confidential PDF just for you. So go to smilesoftware.com slash podcast right now. Our thanks to PDF Pen for their support of this show and Relay FM. Are you guys okay? I'm fine. Brie, hello? I genuinely hope she's okay. I'm right here. Yes. Sorry, I just pulled my mic out because I needed some water. (laughs) Apologies. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it was a really good time. <laughs> 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 it couldn't have had better comedic timing. I hope, I hope Jim likes that. <laughs> I hope he does too. I'm going to tell him not to take it out. Wow, guys. It's a good thing that we're so on top of it this week because we have a very special guest. And that person is the former lead analyst and executive editor of iMore, Renee Ritchie. All right, we've got a very special guest next up on the show, and that is, of course, Renee Ritchie, woo! formerly of iMore, yeah, big woo, and now currently going going solo, flying solo in the YouTube game. Renee, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. So can I give listeners, like, our, our listeners are smart people. They obviously know who you are. But uh, you know, Renee is the person behind iMore, editor-in-chief, runs a top-notch Apple organization for, for years. And you are genuinely one of the nicest people in this entire business. You were the very first person in the Apple world to treat me uh, like a friend. And you were, I will never forget us meeting up at WWDC. That meant the world to me. So when I heard you were going indie, the first thing I wanted to do was invite you on the show so everybody can know about your new channel. Oh my gosh. Oh, you made it, you made it so easy to treat you that way because that's just how you acted. And <laughs> I was blessed because I had like Serenity Caldwell and Lori Gill helping me for the last few years and yeah. they're amazing. So yep. um, all credit to them too. Oh my goodness. That's, that's awesome. So you were, so it's so funny because you and I, we kind of got started around the same time. I might've been a little, when did you, so you yeah. were at, uh, I'm for 11 years. You started there in what, in 20, 2008, 2008, 2008. Yeah. I basically complained that Dieter Bowen wasn't updating the website enough, and then he finally got me to <laughs> hired me to get me to shut up. And then, right? Okay, so I started blogging. Give me the in tea. Give me the tea. <laughs> yeah, so I started Apple blogging in two thousand seven. Yeah, and then you know, so you were about a year later. So yeah, so we yeah. have like similar career lengths. Uh, our careers have obviously gone a little bit um, uh, differently, but um, uh, and we've met in person a, a bunch of times. But it's always yeah. been interesting to me. I've loved watching your career because you know, I feel like we like we like came up together. You know. Um, yeah. So, so eleven years at at the same place, um, and now you're doing something new. So, tell us about what it is and and what is going to be different about this versus what you've done before. Yeah, so I mean, I was lucky towards the end of when I was working at iMore. Like, I it, when we first started, it was probably the exact same thing for you, Christina. It's like there was so few people on the team that everyone was working. Like it was it was just like one or two people per site, and we were writing everything all day every day. And then it slowly grew over the years. And for the last two years, I kind of figured out a way to just do YouTube and then figure out articles based on what I was doing on YouTube. And again, thanks, because Lori Gill did so much of the management work that I didn't have to do almost any of it anymore. But it was just, I, it, I wasn't doing it for me. And then when Mobile Nations was sold to Future, which is a ginormous media conglomerate, I, I'd worked in big companies before. I used to do product marketing for enterprise, um, which is fantastic, but terrible. Yeah. And then I, I just didn't, I didn't want, I didn't feel like a big company person and I had the opportunity to go independent. And so I wanted the chance to see what I could do if I wasn't, they never forced me to do anything. Like they, they don't work that way, but you know what the company's goals are and what their requirements are and what they can sell and what they can do. And so you just like, I just funneled myself that way. So now I feel like I don't really know where I'm going yet, but I can go. It's like that that very old text-based video game. You're standing mm -hmm. there and there's like a, 
cliff on one side and a forest on the other, and you get to press the space bar and start walking. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. In front of you is a door. Yes. You know, I really appreciate about your work at iMore. Uh, Jason, I hadn't thought about this until Jason Snell brought it to my attention, that you, leading that site editorially, figured out how to maximize the SEO. So it doesn't matter what Apple question you were asking in that era. How big is the new iPhone screen? How do I reset my iPhone? What is the best accessory for this? It doesn't matter. Your site would be the first one that would come up, period. And I think that really speaks to the the operation that you ran over there because you would you understood enough about Apple to figure out what consumers were going to ask before we even knew to ask it. That was sort of accidental because I, I worked in marketing and it was always about, it was during the era of product lifecycle management. And hmm. when I started blogging, it seemed to me like you had to help people find their device and then, you know, the basic stuff, they would feel, they, weren't, they wouldn't be sure about it. So you had to like make them feel comfortable and happy that they bought something and then show them everything else they could do with it and then help them figure out what was next. And it was told, like I did not know anything about SEO. So that part was just luck, like thankfully people started typing into Google the side of stuff that we were making because I would make mm-hmm. an article like what color iPhone should you buy and people literally made fun of me but then it was like the most popular article on the oh site oh my god for years. <laughs> I can't imagine making fun of you for that that's uh it's just like quintessential surface journalism right it's like yes. it's not it's not pandering it's literally just what people need and what they want to know yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny, right? Because there's a line and, and I know Renee like uh, can can uh, agree with me on this. Like there's like for the most famous case, and this was a good thing, was when Huffington Post like wrote, what time does the Super Bowl start? Yes. And it was it's a valid thing to do. That Like there's a valid like service journalism for that. But it wound up ranking in like millions and millions of hits yeah. for Huffington Post. And it became this famous thing where like a decade later, you know, people still do that. So what I've always appreciated about what, what uh, you guys did at iMore is that it didn't go too far. You know, it was like, it was good, but there are some sites and you totally can see it where they are crafting the, uh, coming up with answers and coming up with, with questions and, and putting the SEO in a certain way for stuff that you're never going to ask or that's never going to be relevant. And it like mm. drops like the second that the thing comes out, yeah. you know, there's like, there's a balance between having something that's actually going to help people and having something that you're literally just like churning out, you know, content with a couple of sentences so that you can rank and get clicks. Yeah, I think the difference for me always was, are you just putting a page in Google because that's lame or are you trying to help somebody? And everything should always be, are mm-hmm. you trying to help somebody? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask, what do you think has changed the most between uh, the beginning of your career and now as you embark on this new um, new step? I think just the ability to be on your own. Like there were always people like John Gruber, um, you know, who, who did these wonderful websites that were, fully independent, uh, you know, Jim Dalrymple, people who could do that. But now with YouTube and podcasts and and blogs and just the way that the whole creator community has grown, it's it doesn't seem like it's a one-off anymore. It seems like if you if you do a lot of work um, and you try to pay a lot of attention to to the product that you're creating, you have a real opportunity there. And I, I don't know how much that would have scaled back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, we we had a topic, uh, I think it was two weeks ago on the new iPad Pro. And I will cop to this, that your uh, your video review of it for iMore constituted about 90% of my comments on this show. I was running late. <laughs> and I watched that video before. And it was so in-depth with all of the 
the thoughts and the, I mean, you really got nitty gritty with the use case for it then. And, you know, another thing is over, especially the last five, six years, you've had a really close relationship with Apple. They give you, you know, coverage you've had, you get the products, you're there at the keynotes, coronavirus notwithstanding. Are you concerned about how a YouTube channel might affect that going forward? Do you still feel like you're going to have that kind of access to the newest products? So I mean, I've never like I've always appreciated it when I get access or when I get invitations. But I've and you know, Christina knows this too. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I used to buy tickets to WWDC, and I was sitting there with yep. Panzerino in the back, going, Same. "You guys should really invite us because we're going to just work circles around everybody you did invite." And it took like it took I got to WWDC, and then it took years to get to the and I right. And I, my first pre, like my, I only got my first iPhone in advance last year. So like I'd never gotten a pre-release iPhone before. 9 to 5 Mac got it before I did. Um, You know, and it's just, and not, not that there's anything wrong with 9 to 5 Mac. It's just that, you know, their relationship with Apple is very different, obviously, because they do a lot of rumors. A lot of leaks. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I never expect it. I never know what to anticipate. So I just hope that if I do good work. And uh, I think Christina was at the this uh, the singleton with me when Michael Jurowitz, who was at Apple and then was independent for a while, got up on stage and said, basically, if you're a developer, if you're media, your relationship is animal husbandry. That's how <gasps> yeah. that's how wow. Apple sees you. And I I don't totally. I, I don't know how far that goes, but I think that with the, the bloggers were all surprised two years ago when Apple gave the YouTubers access days before the bloggers. And to me, it just sort of, yeah, well, they know oh, the YouTubers, sorry, the bloggers are going to write about them. But there's like makeup YouTubers and photography YouTubers who have millions of followers that are never going to mm-hmm. really think mm-hmm. about the iPhone unless Apple gives it to them. So I think they started evolving what they do. And I think that was smart. Yeah. No, um, I, I, the only reason I wasn't surprised was because um, uh, towards the end of, of my time at, at Mashable, you know, we were doing a lot of stuff on Snapchat Discover, and we were able to get exclusives and stuff. Like Apple would reach out primarily, not because they cared about the Mashable.com coverage, but because we were one of the um, uh, few Snapchat Discover channels. And I, I think at the time we were like the only tech thing that was yeah. on uh, Discover. I think eventually, you know, the version some others were added, and, it, and it's not even really a thing anymore. But to me, that was like my, uh, and it was smart for them because I think uh, Apple would probably maybe not admit this out loud, but in private conversations, they might think they were really slow to embracing blogs. You know, people like me and Renee yeah. and, and even John Gruber and um, others, like it took them a really long time to get integrated into the the system because it used to always just be like the Wall Street Journal and, and uh, you know, USA Today yes. and, and, you know, Newsweek and um, the New York Times. It was like, David Pogue, Walt uh, Mossberg, yep. <laughs> um, you know, Ed Baig and uh, Stephen Levy. And like, if, if it was anybody else, like you weren't going to get it. So I'm glad that they've evolved there. Um, wh- what I wanted to just say, uh, and, you know, I, I think that it's the right approach not to expect anything and to be happy with whatever you get. But my, my experience and what I've seen with others is that Apple tends to be loyal to the person more than the publication and because they, they are about relationships. So, yes. you know, it, it's too soon to be to say, like, if you'll maybe get the same level of access that you got before, especially as you start out. But I, you know, my own experience going from a place that had a very good relationship and that was largely favorable in, in their writing to a very antagonistic place mm-hmm. that had <laughs> had no relationship with Apple for like years and years. And I, I, I took that job knowing that I was probably blowing up my Apple relationship. Yeah. and. To their credit, it didn't. It was different, but but they still had the time for me. So with you still being you, 
Um, I, I fully expect them to, you know, like I said, it might be different in terms of how early you get stuff, but uh, I, I'm sure that, you know, they will still work with you the same because it's it's about working with you, not about, you know, imore.com. Mm-hmm. Happily still buy that WWDC ticket to sit in the back and say, I'm going to outwork all of you, you know, if I have to. All <laughs> uh, <again."> totally. <laughs> totally. Um, uh, Whenever so it happens been, again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So this is, um, so you've been doing, you were do, podcasting for a really, really long time. Yeah. Um, and for the last two years or so, you've been really into YouTube and now that's going to be your focus. What has been different for you and what have you learned, I guess, over that experience of doing YouTube um, that maybe you weren't expecting or, or like what, what's kind of your big takeaway from doing that? That's really interesting to me as somebody who does it, but doesn't do it as my full-time thing. Yeah. So, I mean, like some of the, some of the stuff I didn't expect, like if on a podcast here, you can just ask me a question and I'll just give you an answer. But the minute that camera goes on, I am so self-conscious that I have to Aww. really stop and slow down and think and rehearse and go over and over again. And I don't know if that's just psychological or because I'm I'm like a YouTube immigrant and not born to YouTube and Snapchat and, and TikTok like the new generation is. I, I just don't mm-hmm. think my life is a TV show. So when it's on, I feel like <laughs> sort of in the headlights. But beyond that, it's just sto- it's a whole different way of storytelling because you have to be not just cognizant of what you say, but what you're showing. And I love that because my background originally was design. And I love that I can sort of design a story. I can think about the visuals and the sound. And it's like that cliche that uh, film is a mixture of all the mediums or architecture is a mixture Mm -hmm. of all the mediums. It feels like YouTube is a mixture of all sort of like the bloggy podcast nerdy mediums that we've been working in for the last decade. Now, I'm sure you've answered this elsewhere, but are you editing your videos as well as writing them and hosting them? Yeah. And the primary reason is that I'm still not good enough capturing in the camera what I want the story to be. So I end up doing it a lot in like, like fixing it a lot in post. (laughs) And I don't know how to hand that off in a way that would work yet. Yeah, that's really cool. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. How long does it take you to to do a video? Because I, you know, there's a lot more, you know, video is way harder than, um, than text. I mean, not that it's easy to write, but it can obviously be done more quickly. Uh, in a lot of ways, how long does it take you to do each of your videos? Would you say from start to finish, including writing the script and everything? The I, I'm lucky in that I can write. Like I've been doing it long enough that I can just write. Like I have an idea in my head and I have to get it out and put it on paper. So that that's literally just how long it takes me to type most of the time. the the uh, The hard part for me is B roll. Like I can record the video. Um, if it's a long video, like a review, I have to do a lot of B-roll and I have to think about a lot of stuff. And that can take me a couple days. If it's just like a talking head video, like a, an, an analysis or a hot take, that's usually like five, six hours. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now that, you know, I'm more as a very specific beat, right? Like it's from here to here. Um, now that you're kind of going out and, and doing the indie thing, have you thought about branching outside of Apple? I mean, here on Rocket, I would say all of us, or at least primarily Christina and I, started as Apple people. And as this show has been on for five years, you know, some of, I think, the more interesting things being done in the industry is by Microsoft. Um, have you have you thought at all about branching out into other tech companies or going to keep this very narrow beat that you're really good at? Have you thought about that at all? I so I would really like to, but YouTube is sort of brutal at the moment That's in keeping true. people yeah. in their lanes. Like yeah. they, they it was extracts me like YouTube's job is not to find audience for your videos, it's to find videos for their audience. And when people subscribe, they expect a certain video from you. And if they don't get it, they don't watch it, and then YouTube counts that against you. And if they 
And if YouTube doesn't know who to show, you're like, oh, he's done three iPhone videos. Now there's a Surface Book video. We don't know who to give that to. They count that against you. So my, my strategy is to do sort of like a Horace Dedia um, play and, and use like the lens of Apple to look at other companies. So it might be like, I don't want to say versus because I don't like doing traditional versus stuff, but what Microsoft's doing for accessibility um, and, and the framework will be like an Apple accessibility thing just so YouTube knows how to process it. And then I can Trojan horse like all these other companies into my stream. <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. Like it's there. So one of our topics today is Resident Evil. There are two yeah. YouTubers that have made huge careers out of hyper analyzing every single Resident Evil game. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I bet they don't move outside that lane because if they did, people probably wouldn't like YouTube wouldn't even send that to people. So that's got to yeah. feel very confining. Oh my gosh. It really does. I mean, you can always start a second channel. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually thought about that, but it would be very different. I think if I did a second channel and don't you, then don't you still have to have like the thousand subscriber minimum or whatever to be able to be like the partner and to, to get, you know, to be able to run ads and stuff on it. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. And 40,000 yeah. or 4,000 hours of view time, something like that. Ugh. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's the harder part. Um, so, uh, like, let's talk about that a little bit. Cause that's, that's to me, the first thing I heard when like you're going, Eddie, I was super excited for the fact that you had to like give up the channel that you'd yeah. spent the last few years building up. Um, has that been, is, is there been anything about that that has been relieving or was your initial thought just like, okay, I've got to build the channel up now, um, like as, as quickly as possible. It, it was in terms of like, it's almost like if someone kicks over your anthill and you said, well, you know, that's terrible, but I had this idea to make those tunnels better and now we can try to sort of engineer it that way. So I feel like it's almost like a second chance at, at building the channel now that I've had some experience and figured out a little bit better. Uh, like I'm no Mr. Beast and I can't like produce these banger 40 million view videos every, <laughs> every two days by any means, but I've got a better sense of what I can do and what YouTube seems to accept that I do. And hopefully I can harmonize those better this time. There have definitely been times when I've wished, like after the Polygon video team reboot, that I've wished we could go back and just kind of blow up all the, the old content yes. <laughs> that was not as good. Just can we can we make it not exist anymore? Yeah. <laughs> you could always just like you could still make you make it um unlisted, like, you know, some people. Yeah, but I'm to not it, my like, own boss. <laughs> I also fair, I feel fair, like fair you enough. have a secret weapon there too, which is uh you know, when we were first planning this show, Georgia Dow was one of the people yeah. we thought about bringing on as a co-host. And oh, you've yeah. got access to the Dow. Like you just get like <laughs> if you watch a, a, a video of you like working with any kind of new iPhone camera or whatever, you'll be taking pictures of Georgia. She's right there. So I mean, yeah. you should bring her onto your channel at some point. Like that's that's got to be worth half a million views right there. She can do a segment. <laughs> <laughs> totally my plan. I would actually love her like when she had in her copious spare time because she still she still sees like real like real clients, not me, but like real clients <laughs> all day, every day. But I would love for her to bring some of what she does because I feel like there's been a ton of productivity and sort of human development videos done by people who haven't actually studied any of those things. Yeah. And she's been doing it for so long. I think she could provide real value, but I have to, yeah. I have to convince her of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll text her, like, go do Renee's show right now. I can be a guest right on now. her show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> very sneaky. Do you have any goals for the channel? Um, I just want to do, like, I, I have the luxury of being able to do it for a little while without worrying too much about it. So I just want to do good videos. Like, I did one yesterday, and it, it just 
it didn't work and I trashed it. And I, I, because I'm not working for a company anymore, I don't have like, and they were never like micromanaging me about what I produced, but I always felt guilty if I didn't have some body of work every day that I could put up and, you know, say, yes, I did my job. Um, mm-hmm. And this time I, I just want to take my time and do the best videos I can. And I want to figure out a way to, because uh, just, there's just so much quantity there. I want to try to find a way to deliver real value. And that's challenging because uh, a lot of like the news stuff is done jokey and pranky. Um, and a lot of the review stuff is not, I don't want to say the same. It's like I never wanted the, I, the iMore homepage to ever look like another Apple site's webpage. Because I figured like Mac Rumors is Mac Rumors better than anybody. There's no way I want to be the second best mm-hmm. Mac Rumors. And I feel the same way about this. I don't want to be like the second best gadget reviewer, the second best tech channel in yeah. some category. I want to try something different. Oh, my goodness. Well, if so I want every single Rocket listener to uh, pause the podcast and go subscribe to your channel right now. Where can they go do that, Renee? Uh, YouTube.com slash Renee Ritchie. I kept it real simple slash this Renee time. Ritchie. That's it's very so easy. easy. Yes. I'm on it right now. So please, and how else can people support you? They can just watch your videos. How else? Because this is this is a gutsy time to be doing a new, to be doing your own thing. So I want Rocket listeners to go support you. What else can they do? I'm Canadian, so I'm terrible at self-promotion. I got to try to like force <laughs> myself to. <laughs> That's um, why we're here. Yeah, you, there's, there's uh, the YouTube, just watching the videos is great. And I set up a Patreon for people who want like to join the Discord and Get early. I, I post my scripts there before I start filming. Uh, so there's just like a, a lot of fun content I put up on patreon.com slash Renee Ritchie. Excellent. Very cool. I didn't know you had a Patreon too. That's awesome. I'm trying. I'm tr- I have to learn how to do so much, Simone. It's like all these things I, I never even thought so about before. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like I, could, I haven't built a website in like 10 years. I have to go back and like, oh, I remember CSS. <laughs> it's fine. Wow, it would be a really <laughs> convenient time for Squarespace to be sponsoring this episode. But not this <laughs> week. Um... Wow, I, I don't even know what to say except congratulations on Thank this you. like huge endeavor that you're embarking on. Um, and I hope it is fruitful for you. You can do whatever you want, man. You're free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're free of the corporate Nobody overlord, which was you. you what to do. <laughs> so you're free. I now. am. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> hey, do you hate your boss? <laughs> yeah, uh, he's such a jerk. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much, Renee, for coming on. Is there anything left that you want us to that you want to say to us? No, just thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much for doing the show. It's just it's one of the best surprises that shows up in my feed every week. (laughs) Oh, thank thank you you so much. much. I love it. Thank you, Renee. And and best of luck with everything. And um, I I, I subscribe like immediately and I can't Uh. wait. Uh, to see um, uh, more of your videos and and you continuing to to do all the great stuff that you do. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was great. Go support Renee. And it's time for our delicious dessert today. And that is, of course, the sequel to Resident Evil 2. Folks, they're calling it Resident Evil 3. And it has been remade in the same way that they're making those other classic games. And Brianna Wu loves it so this game Brianna, is so good i'm so psyched to be able to talk about this i love this game so much you said you've played it twice no i'm working on my third playthrough i i have so much Stop. to say about this it is so rare that you have a game and you beat it and you turn right around and start up a new game immediately and that is exactly what i end up doing with this and then when I beat it a second time, I started it back up immediately and started playing through it again. This game is so much better 
than the first Resident Evil 2. They took a lot of the annoying game uh, design decisions. Like mis- you, mean, you mean three? Uh, three, yes. They took out a lot of the, uh, the really annoying things, uh, like Mr. X hunting you down through the entire police station. That is gone. It is a very, very... It, it is a brilliantly scripted cinematic game that you just play through. There's no fat. There's no BS. It is just amazing characters, perfect action, perfect atmosphere. And what I really, really, really love about this game is the replayability. A lot of people are critiquing Resident Evil 3 because it's a it's a short game. Uh, your first playthrough, you can beat it in about six to eight hours. It took me about eight. Um, and a lot of people are critiquing that because people expect games to like last forever these days. But what is amazing about this is it's built for replayability. So you go through it that first time, and it's hard. It was a very hard playthrough. But then this shop opens up um, at the end and you get points depending on how many zombies you killed with different weapons, how good you were at finding files or or items or killing uh, nemesis. And then it allows you to unlock special things like infinite machine guns, uh, things that boost your damage, things that boost your defense. So a section that took me uh, three or four hours to clear the first time around. I just cleared that segment in 20 minutes because Dude. you just speed run through it. And it is a blast. The like the streamliningness of it is the thing that you've said about it that makes me most intrigued about it. Cause I, I'm not uh, a person who has historically played the resident evil games. Um, but I am always intrigued by a narrative game of a decent length but i want to know from you uh just if people are not familiar with resident yes, evil sorry <laughs> i, I know that the yes. third game is kind of a departure for sure. the series and like it people have said that this is where it becomes more action oriented rather than puzzly so what is the what is the thing that distinguishes resident evil 3 from previous games and do we need what do we need to know about them so just a very quick history lesson of this particular game. Resident Evil 1 came out, Resident Evil 2 came out, and was a beyond blockbuster game. Massive. Res- yeah, it was huge. Resident Evil 3 came out, and it was originally not even supposed to be Resident Evil 3. Resident Evil Code Veronica was supposed to be Resident Evil. Yes. <laughs> I love that game. game. That was supposed to be Resident Evil 3, but the Resident Evil 2 was so successful and this game was shaping up so well that they put Jill in this game. Jill is the original female character from Resident mm-hmm. Evil and they put her in this game. And basically, uh, you're trying to survive and leave town and you end up like cooperating with this ultra hot umbrella mercenary by the name of Carlos. <laughs> and you have this creature nose nemesis stalking you through the entire game. And, um, it's, it's, it's not a story that's as well done as the characters are well done. This is the best version of Jill Valentine ever period by far. Carlos is amazing. Nikolai is a great villain and the nemesis is great. So it's the 
the strength of all these characters that that carries it through, if that makes sense. I've heard a lot about Nemesis. What yeah. is Nemesis? Nemesis is, uh, so in Resident Evil 2, Mr. X is this, uh, this uh, super weapon by the T-Virus that hunted and stalked you through the game. What they did for this game is they made the entire game about a Mr. X hunting you down. It's Nemesis. He has a rocket launcher at parts. He's, he has a flamethrower. He mutates. He has these limbs. He will kill you in one or two hits. He is a brutal, brutal enemy. I played Resident Evil 3 when it came out. It Was was it on PS2? Is PS1. that what it was on? PS1. Uh, PS1. Okay. Because uh, I remember liking Code Veronica better. And I don't know if I knew then that it wasn't supposed to be a Resident Evil game or what. But I, I liked Code Veronica better. Um, and, I, you know, uh, 3 was fine, but it was never one of my favorites. But if, I, if you haven't played 3, or if you have, but it's been, you know, 20 years, um, what, what, what is your advice for people who um, might be interested uh, in, in the remake? Well, I think I think this is a better game for newbies to play than Resident Evil 2. The puzzles are much easier. Um, for Resident Evil 2, as much as I've played Resident Evil 2, I got lost around the police station. And I sat there with the Polygon.com guide in front of me telling me which room to go to. You don't have to do this in this game at all. Uh, it's very straightforward. So I would say if you're interested in a Resident Evil game, uh, try this. It's absolutely worth $60. Play on assisted mode. But I mean, I, I just have to say Jill Valentine, I would easily put her in the top three women characters in all of video game history. She's amazing. There's no, you know, up the skirt shots here. She's, she's just awesome. She's vulnerable. She's a, it's a truly great character. And it's it's just amazing seeing this this character that I identify with so much being done in this high quality a game. Now you also introduced another important topic in yes. our chat, which was whether Jill or Carlos is <laughs> Well, I have opinions. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, Exposing yes. the hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I you know, they're both they're both very attractive. I think I they're would both say. very yes. beautiful. I don't know. Yes. I, I so I wasn't a fan of whatever. Like he, Carlos has this kind of a fluffy two thousands hair thing going on, except it's like even more extreme than Leon. Um, it's a very dated hairstyle. But then I saw his face. I looked past the hair to the face that was underneath it, and I thought, huh, yeah. <laughs> but then Jill just like looks good, so you know. But she does it. She's wearing a skirt, though. That's the one. It oh. was the 90s. It was 1999. So you can forgive it. But yeah, I've worn a skirt. We've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you have any final thoughts about Resident Evil 3 besides that we should all go play it? I mean, Christina, are you going to play it? You've got time. Yeah. Oh, I definitely am. I haven't had a chance, but I'm. I, this is definitely something I'm going to like spend my weekend doing. Like, I'm excited about it. Um, uh, I also, um, love the, uh, the Final Fantasy VII reviews oh, that have God, been coming out yes. and, and that, that's, so that, so I might actually have to play Final Fantasy VII first because yep. I believe that's out, uh, Friday. And so, uh, that might take precedence, but if, depending on actually, you know, it's, it's Tuesday as we record this. So I don't know, I might take a break from Animal Crossing and, um, and, you know, pull up Resident Evil 3, so... I'm absolutely going to lose mind when Final Fantasy VII comes out. I I, I was mm, I thought I was I thought I was going to be cool. 
And then Reno. I remembered Reno exists. My favorite character of all time. So I'm in it. I'm, I, I say goodbye to me. I'm dead. I might as well lie down and die. <laughs> Are you, did you play Final Fantasy VII, Simone? I did. Yeah. I played it on someone's like PS2 with a PS1 memory card or something. Like whatever weird trick you had to do to make that work. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Yes, when you had to put the the backward compatibility for you to have to. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I that trick now. But I saw the movie now. first. Anyway, that's a topic for another week. <laughs> hey. Brianna, what else are you doing this week besides replaying Resident Evil for the third time? Well, uh, we are we are going crazy trying to get these signatures and get on the ballot. Um, you know, did you even, end up mailing uh, things to people? We are. We have a huge operation going wow. up to do that. Um, but I talked to the Secretary of State this week, and they made it clear that. Um, yeah, they don't see their job as extending the signature deadline for candidates. And that's ridiculous. As we're saying this, what stays is it Michigan that's voting today? Um, Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, this judge came through and is basically putting the public at a huge amount of risk out there with COVID 19, forcing them to, like, hey, you can either go get a life threatening disease or you can vote. Um, it's very disturbing to see our secretary of state pulling that same thing here it's so obvious you either need to lower the signature requirements or extend the deadline that is so much common sense and he he just flat out told me i i actually i had a conversation with his office this week and they tried to push it back on us they're like well you had a week to go get your signatures before all this started and it's just (laughs) like are you kidding me are you for real right now so, frankly, uh, we're fundraising to pay for that. It's going to end up costing like uh, $1.50 to $2 a person to go send them a signature. We will target houses with multiple voters living there, and we will get approval from people ahead of time. But it's just a huge drain on my energy, and uh, mm-hmm. that's that's what I'm doing this week. Uh, what's the name of your Secretary of State? <laughs> I don't want to get him in trouble on the show, so I would I mean, decline. he's a public official. People could probably call his office. You, you could, if you live in Massachusetts, I invite you to call our Secretary of State politely and tell him. Politely. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely politely. Because the thing is, it's not just you. Like, there are, I mean, anybody who's wanting to run for office um, in, in the state of, of Massachusetts is going to be running into this. And and it's a, yeah, I mean, it's it's a kind of a ridiculous thing to say, oh, well, you had a week. Um, to get all of your signatures done when it's like, well, but I was supposed to have until, uh, when is the deadline? May? Yeah, you're supposed to have basically two and a half months to do it. So it's absolutely ridiculous. And we got 1,200 signatures on um, on Super Tuesday. So like we were doing our work. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have to say this. What I am, I'm obviously plugged into groups about women running for office. And I want to tell you, this by far disproportionately affects challenging can't challenger candidates and it really affects women people that don't have that infrastructure built up or the good old boys club um you know it it affects us in really serious ways so i i you know frankly i need people to go to support brianna.com and help us out mm-hmm. christina what are you up to this week uh, well, nothing that important. So go to supportbriana.com uh, for sure. I am uh, still doing the remote work thing, trying to kind of figure out. Uh, I'm trying to go through the process of cleaning my office and having to order some extra equipment. I need a second monitor now. And so um, uh, 
I could get one. I could, I guess, go to the office and grab one there, but I'm going to just spend my own money and, and upgrade to a, a nice 4K second monitor for my iMac, but it'll also work with my laptops. And nice. Yeah, just uh, uh, playing a lot of Animal Crossing. I don't know, trying to avoid the news um, <laughs> as much as I can. But that that's basically it. I mean, at this point, it's it's kind of, I feel like I'm kind of getting into a rhythm, but things are still different. So I feel like with this every week feels a little bit different. Like for the second week in a row, I've woken up on a Tuesday and been like, it's Friday. It's never Friday. And just like the things that distract you throughout the day are so many things can happen. Um, I'm just continuing to work. I mean, much like Christina, uh, we're adjusting to this schedule and like trying to get things done in, you know, that nine to six rather than letting it drag out into the the after hours which i have certainly failed to do um for the past couple days because there's a part of my brain that's just like why do it now when you could do it at 11 p.m (laughs) um i need to teach the part of my brain that says that to stop um but honestly the most exciting thing that's happened to me all week is that our new super came and actually fixed something which is a miracle (laughs) You don't know what I've been through here. What what was fixed, if you can share? Uh, it was a radiator that had been, like, I couldn't turn it off. It didn't have the valve to shut it off. It was also leaking from, like, where the, the pipe comes out of the floor and goes into the radiator. And then on top of that, the uh, other valve that's at the top of the radiator, it's that classic situation where if it's the radiator is tilted, that would leak. So then I had that propped up on like cardboard because it didn't have any wood blocks. Um, and then, of course, you'd tilt it up and then all the water that's inside the radiator would come rushing out the um, valve that's close to or uh. the, the part that's close to the floor. And then it'd be like, towel, need a towel. Um, so he came in. He took the whole thing apart. He gave it a new uh, valve so we can actually shut it off now. But then the best thing that he did was that he took the whole radiator away because there's another part that's rusted on so so badly that he literally could not get it off he was just banging it with his with like a he had the wrench and a hammer and it was all nonsense and he was like do you actually need this and i was like no take it 60 degrees out and because of the friggin' the way the heat in this building works it's still on i don't want it to be here uh, so he did anyway wow this isn't simone's home repair hour um <laughs> or is it what you're not even repairing it you're, you're... no i'm just watching <laughs> an expert repair it the hell that i've been through with this radiator i'm i want it thrown away uh hey wow brianna where can we find you online again uh What's you can support brianna.com you, can, you can support brianna.com or you can see me burning uh simone's radiator in effigy uh on twitter oh, nice. you can see that at brianna Melt it down and make a cool new, like, thing to put on the hood of your car. No, no, no. It's like Annabelle, though. If you burn it, the demon <gasps> is going to escape and hurt people. So contain it in that form. Nice. Uh, Christina, <laughs> what about you? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. And I will have uh, a new episode of This Week in Channel 9 up. Um, uh, probably, I, I was going to be recording it Thursday as this episode comes out. But you can check out youtube.com slash Microsoft developer um, sometime this weekend, and you'll be able to see that because I will see you that from, uh, from, from home. Nice. 
And you can find me at youtube.com slash polygon and doom quasar on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, go forth, my friends. And if you like this show, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We super duper appreciate it, especially now in this strange, uncertain climate that we live in. Um, thank you, everyone who has left reviews and ratings. We love that for you and for us. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>